This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, welcome. My name is Bill Hendricks. I'm the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And it's my privilege to welcome you to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Today, we're going to look at youth ministry, and particularly youth ministry in churches. Uh, for many churches, the youth ministry is you know, something of a, of a sort of a need to make sure that families ha- have a place where they can bring their kids while the adults worship. Our guest today, though, is going to show you how a youth ministry and a youth group may be the most potent force for taking the gospel to your community. So it's my privilege to welcome to the table Greg Steer, who's the founder uh, of Dare to Share Ministries and your mission uh, help youth leaders empower students to reach their world. Welcome to the Table Podcast. Thanks, Bill. So glad to be here with you. Yeah. Well, it's a treat. We've been looking forward to this. And I'll just say from the outset, for our listeners' sake, you're, uh, dare to share, like this is this is coming out of a life message for yeah. you, right? So go back and tell me your story and how you kind of got into dare to share. I know it it goes all the way back to your childhood, I guess. Yeah, you know, I was uh I was raised in a very violent inner city home. Wow. And uh Three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. Wow. The fourth one was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver, and the fifth one was a Golden Gloves boxer and a judo champion. And my mom was the only girl in the group, and they were all afraid of her because she used a baseball bat when she fought. And uh, So, I mean, there was like real, you know, know, competitive meant fighting and... Yeah, but not with each other as much as with gangs. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, uh, the Denver Mafia, the Small Dones, had a nickname for my uncles. They called them the Crazy Brothers. (laughs) So when the Mafia thinks your family's dysfunctional... You're in trouble. You're in trouble. And I was not that way. I was... uh, Never knew my biological father. My mom met my dad at a party. They partied. She got pregnant. He was in the Army. He found out he got transferred 2,000 miles away. Wow. Mom had been married several times. So I was just a scared, scarred, fatherless kid in the hood. And my family terrified me and my neighbors terrified me because we were at the highest crime area of our city. And and a hillbilly preacher whose nickname was Yankee. (laughs) Wow. I guess his dad was a counterfeiter and a bootlegger in the Deep South, and he was born on the run from the law. So his dad nicknamed him Blank Yankee. I won't fill in the blank. Yeah. So he kept that title. It shows you how people in the South thought of Yankees. Exactly, exactly. And so Yankee planted a church in the suburbs, reached my toughest uncle with a gospel, my Uncle Jack, and he trusted Christ. One by one, my entire family put their faith in Christ. And I sat there as a kid watching my entire family transformed hmm. by the simple gospel message. There was no complication. It wasn't a turn or burn message. Right. There was no list. It was you put your faith in Christ and Him crucified that He died in your place for your sin and you are saved. Wow. And that message, the simplicity of the gospel, transformed them. And... 
I got involved with Yankee's youth ministry. Yankee believed he had a philosophy that the fastest way to reach the city was through the young. Wow, yeah. Because he said teens come to Christ quicker, they spread the gospel faster. Hmm. So he trained and equipped us, and we had 800 teenagers in our church. We only had 300 adults, 800 wow. teens in our youth ministry. Wow. And uh, he, he equipped us in sound theology. He equipped us in uh, evangelism. It wasn't like first growing. It was both and at the same time. He'd give you a Bible and a stack of tracts and said, you're going to learn to master both of these. Right. I read biblical preaching by Haddon Robinson when I was 12. <laughs> I, wow. Uh, I got a Lewis Berry Chafer eight-volume systematic theology set when I was 15. Wow. And I wasn't the exceptional kid. I was just one of the leadership students. But you, were, you were drawn to I that. I was drawn to it because I had seen so the power of the gospel. So reading the prolegomena... Uh, and you know the the systematic theology of Chaffers. Yeah. I wept. I because for me it wasn't just cold dead theology. It was like I'm learning to know who my dad is, who my big brother Jesus is, what salvation is. I mean, I'm, it's putting words to everything that all the questions that a teenager from the hood who's fatherless and struggles with identity. You know, I remember when I was a, a kid. You know, all my uncles before they were saved, they were kind of ruthless. Yeah. Um, you know, most of them were just you know, I mean, downright mean. And um, my Uncle Dave gave me a gift in front of our entire family mm. when I was six. Mm. And I opened it up. It was Christmas. And it was a girl's doll. And I thought it was a mistake. I go, why'd you give me a girl's doll? And he's oh, like, I figured man. you don't have a dad, so you like to play with dolls like a little girl. Oh, my gosh. That oh, scarred my. me. How shaming. It shamed me. Absolutely. But I want to tell you something. That began the search. As a six-year-old, I said, there's got to be more. Mm. And I began to study my little King James Bible underneath the kitchen sink with a flashlight. I still have that red King wow. James Bible. Wow. And I, I, I couldn't understand it. Oh, right. But I knew the answers were in there. And uh, so coming to Christ, watching my family transformed. Yeah, that's the big thing. Studying this theology and then get mobilized for evangelism hit every major, like, Every major question a teen has, I, you know, Dr. Kara Powell talks about the three big questions, yeah. identity, belonging, and purpose. Well, identity, I'm a child of God, so I don't know my dad. That's okay. I have a heavenly father. Yeah. Uh, belonging, I have a, the people of God, the family of God. And purpose, I have the, the cause of Christ to make disciples of all nations. So for me, as an inner city kid, you put the pieces father, it put everything together. Yeah. So... You know, I don't have a story like, well, and then I strayed years later. Yeah. I was like, why would I stray? Right. You'd found life. I found life. Why would I stray? You know, and... Um, and this may sound like an obvious question, but just briefly, what, what, what did that transformation in your family like look like that was so... I mean, you, basically, you saw power at work yeah. there. So my Uncle Jack, so Yankee goes to his house on a Saturday morning, knocks on his door. Jack comes to the door, no shirt on, tats everywhere. Two beer cans, one for drinking beer, one for spit and chew. Because what do you want? He didn't know who he was. He right. goes, my name's Yankee Arnold. I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. Wow. He goes, I don't know Jesus. I know Bob. I'll give you five minutes. So Yankee just went in there and laid the gospel on him and asked him, does that make sense? And my Uncle Jack said, hell yeah. That was a sinner's prayer. <laughs> he trusted Christ. He started devouring his Bible. He brought 250 people out to church in one month, bodybuilders, street fighters, gang members. Wow. Then my Uncle Bob, he came to Christ uh, as a kid, actually, but then, you know, he went far from God, got in a barroom brawl with a guy named Doug, uh, uh, with a guy that stabbed his be best friend, Doug Johnson, five times, mm. beat the guy to death, mm. gets arrested, yeah. 
throw him in the back of the squad car. While the EMTs are working on this guy to resuscitate him, he called out to God, God, I'm in. Well, he found out the next day they did resuscitate him. He was released from jail. Hmm. A year later, he was at Florida Bible College. Wow. Where he wow. went and grew and just... Trans- and so it wasn't like... It was over the course of time. It was messy. My mom was one of the holdouts. So I got equipped to share the gospel when I was 12, right? So the first person on my heart was my mom. Oh, sure. Because she... Mom... She'd been there for you. She was a part of your... You know, she, she'd yeah. been married several times. Right. She was like the woman at the well with the baseball bat, you know, just tough lady. One day, actually, a guy pulled up. She had married in a car, brand new car. And I, I was on the porch. I was like five. I go, Mommy, one of my daddies is here. And she's like, where's the bat? And she reached behind the door, got the baseball bat. Oh, man. Runs out there, cigarette hanging out of her mouth. Because he had left us. We had yeah, no idea where right. it was. Shatters his front windshield. Whoa. Shatters his headlights. And it's like... Get out of the car. I'm just a girl, you know? Well, she's a girl with five bodybuilding brothers that were all scared of her. <laughs> right. Well, she starts doing body damage, and I'm freaking out, right? Yeah, right. But somehow proud of her. I'm like, yeah, you go, Mom, because she's a wailing on us. Well, he gets out, and she beats him bloody. Mm. It finally gets back in the car, drives off. We never see him again for some strange reason. <laughs> I remember Mom walking back up. Asking myself three things. Number one, well, saying to myself three things. Number one, I will never disobey my mom again. Yeah, right. <laughs> Number two, how did that cigarette stay in her mouth the whole time, which was impressive. <laughs> and three is why is she so angry? Mm. Well, she had a shame-fueled rage. Mm-hmm. When she got pregnant with me, my grandma told me years later, she drove from Denver to Boston to abort me. Mm. Changed her mind after a couple months staying with my Uncle Tommy my Aunt Carol. They talked her out of it. Mm. She came back, and I wondered for years why when she would look at me, she would burst out in tears. Wow. Wow. Just holding all that. Holding all that. All the guilt and the shame. Mm. So I started sharing Christ with her when I was 12. Simple gospel. Mom, God loves you. Our sins separate us from Him. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds, Ma. But paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And if you trust in him alone, you have eternal life. And it starts now and lasts forever. And she would say, you don't know the things I've done wrong. Yeah, God can't love me. I'm beyond the pale, right? Well, I knew everything she had done wrong because my grandma told me everything. And for three years, I worked on her. And finally, one day I walked in the kitchen. I was like, Ma, sit down. I didn't talk that way to my mom. I go, I don't want you to go to hell. Mm. You kind of got to come at my family like that. Pretty straight. She goes, all right, tell me again. She's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I laid it on her. She goes, you mean to tell me Jesus paid for all my sins? I go, yeah. She took a drag. She goes, you mean to tell me all I have to do is put my faith in him and he forgives me for everything? What about the bad ones? I go, they're all bad to him. And they're all nailed to the cross. <laughs> she took another drag. She said, I'm in. And my family, when they said they're in, they're in. Mm. And she put her faith in Christ. And I just remember that one of the greatest days of my life was being able to lead my own mom to Christ. No kidding, man. And then I discipled my mom. Wow. Yeah. You know, and because uh, I'd been discipled right. to disciple. Right. And it's because Yankee did and not look, you. he did not look at teenagers as second class citizens or they're right. not real until they can tithe. He, he looked at them like, okay, so if, if, Bill, if I'm in the business world, I'm going to focus on the demographic that's most likely to buy my product and sell my product. Exactly. 80% of those-ish 
of, that come to Christ do it by the time they're 18. Right. So why why it's are we not spending 80% yeah. of our our income on and, and I'll tell you the honest answer it's cuz they don't tithe. Yeah, right, they don't have any money. And I, I want to tell you but our currency is, in the ministry it's not money, it's souls. Correct. And it, the only way we're going to change the trajectory of the church in the western world and all, all around the world is mobilizing teenagers for the gospel. If we miss youth, we miss the movement. Jesus was a youth leader. Mm. And I, I remember talking about youth ministry at a Billy, I was preaching at a Billy Graham School of Evangelism, and this old black pastor goes, you know Jesus was a youth leader. I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? He's like, Matthew 17, 24 through 27, Peter, Jesus, and the disciples go into Capernaum, but only Peter and Jesus pay the temple tax. Exodus thirty fourteen says the temple tax was only for those 20 years old and older. All the disciples are there, but only Peter and Jesus mm, pay. They were younger. So I say, hey, Jude was a youth leader mm. with one adult volunteer <laughs> and one rotten kid. Yeah. And with that youth group, he changed the world. Mm. So you got a youth group of 12. You can change the world because Jesus said greater things than he shall you do. And those disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit till Acts 2. Our, our students have this, this spirit now. We have to mobilize we are missing we, the Western Church is missing the mark because we do not take youth ministry seriously. You use a term in your work, gospelize. Yeah, is that just a a different permutation of the word evangelize, or or do you have a special connotation attached to that? You know, it's the original Old English word for evangelize. I heard it in a Spurgeon sermon. Wow, and okay. um, but I I think it's got a fuller meaning because mm-hmm. what what. When I say gospelize, yes, I mean evangelism, but I also mean creating a context for evangelism and disciple multiplication to be the culture in which our students live and breathe. Hmm. So from square one, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom. Mm, good. And it's about the gospel, and it's about making disciples, and you're here for a reason, and that's to reach your friends, to grow deep, to know Christ, right. and to make him known. Yeah. And so... How do you create what we call a gospel-advancing ministry philosophy? Gospel-centered sounds like we just sit around listening to, yeah. you know, Matt Chandler sermons or something, which right. is great. But we want to be more than just listening and exegeting. We want to do. execute. Yeah, right. exactly. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Exactly. Let's go do this, you know. And students are longing for it. So Dare to Share for 32 years. We've done events. Now we do Dare to Share Live. Yeah, tell, tell me about that. So I was interested. It's a, it's a once-a-year event where uh, we provide video training, equipping, and tools for a day of global youth evangelism. It's mm-hmm. in November. We train, equip, and we mobilize students to share Christ. And so all around the world, in English and Spanish, it's available. Wow. And, uh, and then the last Saturday of every month, we challenge youth leaders to do Go Share Day, which is to go out to your city, your community, and pray, prayer, care, and share. I, I wanted to focus on that prayer piece because that I noticed in your, uh, you know, you have like, uh, you know, Seven, gospelize your yeah. ministry. It starts with prayer. Yeah. And and you emphasized uh, the importance of intercessory prayer. Yeah. Talk about that. Why is that so important? Well, you know, you think about intercessors. At yeah. your typical local church, they're usually the weirdos. I mean, let's be honest. Like, oh, here comes an intercessor. Like, oh, no. You know, and it's like, oh, the, the intercessors are, are interceding, and that's something that they do. Well, intercessors, number one, they're not weirdos. They're necessary. Yeah. And number two, we're all called to be intercessors. 
So we're all called to be weird, right? We're all right. called to intercede um, for the lost. First hmm. Timothy 2, Paul writes to Timothy, and he's, he's like, first of all, prayers, supplications, intercessions be made for all people, kings and those in authority, everyone. God desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All right. He is telling Timothy how to program the church services in Ephesus. To pray. And he doesn't start with preaching. He starts with praying. Yeah. You start by praying. So we spend more time in announcements than intercessory prayer for the lost. Mm. We, the average church, I don't think, spends any time in intercessory prayer for the lost in yeah. the church service. Right. And if it's in small groups or Bible study, or it's usually praying for my Aunt Susie who broke her arm, which we need to pray for Aunt Susie, right? Right. But are we interceding for the lost? Yeah. Um, somebody once said, before we talk to others about God, we need to talk to God about others. Yeah. You know? So prayer... So I give an illustration. When I was eight years old, I was walking to school. Uh, my mom had bought me this discounted leather jacket because it was back in the happy days. So I wanted to you know, right. see if I could be cool. <clears throat> like, I don't know, nine or 10 years old. Two German shepherds come from across the street, ears back, teeth bared. You're, 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 you're they, done for. Yeah, they push me up against a, I, I grab a uh, chain link fence around my face. I kind of block my face with my arms. And one's going for my arms, one's going for my gut. And they're trying to tear me down. Wow. And I know if they get me, I mean, they're German Shepherds. Yeah. So if they get me on the ground, I'm dead. I'm dead. So I'm screaming. And a little old lady, Ma Zemer, probably 80 years old, comes shuffling down the street with a baseball bat, cursing <laughs> like a sailor, cracks one in the head, cracks the other in the head. And then she jumps between me. And these dogs swinging the bat. Well, the word intercession comes from the Latin words, go, I go between. It's a go between. Mm. She was my intercessor. She stood between me and the danger swinging that bat. Mm. Intercessory prayer is us standing between the lost and the danger, yeah. interceding to God on behalf of their lost souls. Mm. And I think we vastly dis discount the power of intercessory prayer. Uh, intercession is the manual labor of praying. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, Epaphras says in Colossians 4.12, you know, he's, he's, uh, Paul says about Epaphras, he's always laboring in prayer for you that you be mature and fully, fully assured. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for the lost. Mm. We need to intercede. Intercede. That's where it starts. Intercede for the lost. And when you, when you pray for the lost, you start seeing the lost. Yeah. Well, I think in, in many ways we, we've, we've lost sight of the fact there is a huge spiritual battle at play in a soul that, that you know, the evil one doesn't want to lose that person to the gospel. Yeah. So they're going to, he's going to put up every resource to try to prevent that. And our only re recourse there is prayer. You know, I think about my grandma. So when I always tell the story about Yankee. Yeah. And my grandparents were Christian. They're Baptists, but all their kids rebelled. Right. And, hmm. She told me one time after I prayed, she goes, I appreciate Yankee, but you got to remember that I prayed every day for my kids to be saved. I, I was going to ask. I, I had a feeling that was the case. Yeah. She goes, it was your grandma's prayers that yeah. sent Yankee. Yeah. So, and she well, carried a gun with her. So I was like, yes, ma'am, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. Well, you know, that was the story for my grandfather. Mm. My dad's dad was not a believer. Mm. And he came to visit us here in Dallas once. He was an army sergeant, and he smoked a big old cigar. And um, nice guy, uh, but at dinner one night, 
the story I've been told is that I asked him, I said, well, Granddaddy, are you a Christian yet? And, you know, he said, oh, hmm. no, son, I, that's, that's not for me. Hmm. And allegedly, I don't remember this, but apparently I said, um, well, you will be because we're praying for you. Oh, wow. And we did. We prayed for him frequently. Hmm. And you got to go forward now about 40 years. Yeah. And it's a long story, but a fascinating work of the gospel that a pastor up in D.C. befriended him, and then shortly after that, um, befriended him because he resembled because my dad resembled him, and this pastor said, "Man, that guy looks like my my old prof." And huh. it turned out to be Dad's dad, and and, wow. and and shortly after that, he he uh, uh, contracted lung cancer mm-hmm. and went into the hospital, and he was literally on his deathbed. Wow. And this guy came in every day, share the gospel, and, you know, push, push, push. Yeah. And then one day the guy comes in, and my granddad's, he said, sitting up in bed. And, of course, the military guys. Yeah. Well, today I got a new commander. Oh, wow. And he had prayed to receive Christ. Wow. And you go back to those prayers. Yeah. You know, and you, you have to know that God... There, there is power in those prayers, those intercessory, oh yeah, uh, and laboring prayers over time, long obedience in the same direction. Yeah, it's like uh, some people say, "Well, you know, they'll never believe." I'm like, you know, <laughs> prayer is like chopping down a tree, right? Yeah. The bigger the tree, the longer it takes, but you keep swinging, yeah, and you keep praying, and guess what? When that tree finally falls, two things happen: that soul gets saved. And you are, you're jacked because you've been swinging an axe. Right. Your faith is built in the process. So not only does prayer you know, get answered, but we get spiritually, our faith gets strengthened in the process. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you, uh, what's the most unlikely or unexpected conversion you've ever seen? Or- <laughs> well, it's my whole family. I mean, no, I'm not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, my family is the most unexpected conversion. You thought there's no way. No, no. I mean, they were just like, they loved violence. Yeah. And my Uncle Jack and my mom, I mean, um, mm. it, it was just, it was, it was powerful to see. But it makes me think of Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And what I tell teenagers is like, the gospel's like a grenade. It doesn't matter if a 30-year-old Marine throws it or a 12-year-old girl. It's got power. It's got inherent power. And the gospel has, we need to give that message. We need to give it clearly. We need to make sure we're given a clear, simple gospel message, nothing added. The whole book of Galatians about, like, don't add anything. Uh, and the simple message of the gospel, trans- I mean, if, if Yankee would have come with a turn, like, you got to turn from your sin before you come to Christ, to my Uncle Jack. Mm-hmm. My Uncle Jack would have given him the middle finger. Right. Right? Because my Uncle Jack, was smart enough to know there's no way he could turn I, from I his can't sin. turn but he on came, my own. Yeah, you come to Christ in simple faith, yeah. knowing you're a sinner. Yeah. And he will Takes make you, you a are. new creation, right. and he will begin to turn you from your sin from the inside out. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. So I think we got to get that order right. And a lot of gospels today, that order's wrong. I hear it all the time. Hmm. Like, turn from your sin and then come to Christ. I'm like, if I could turn from my sin, I wouldn't need to come to Christ. I could save myself. I come to Christ, and he turns me from my sin, and he's still turning me from my sin. Right. It's an ongoing process until, you know, we're in his presence. Absolutely. So keeping that gospel clear and then mobilizing 
you know, our kids, our grandkids, our youth ministries. Let's let's build a gospel advancing strategy where kids literally wake up and see themselves as missionaries. How do you help youth pastors create that kind of a mobilized ministry? Well, praying for one, and right. I, I don't I don't say that lightly. Yeah. Um, so we have these seven values, mm-hmm. right? Intercessory prayer fuels it. The second value is uh, relational evangelism drives it. So that means giving students gospel urgency, that they need to know why they should share the gospel. And so you talk about heaven, hell, the, you know, identity, belonging, purpose, all that stuff, right? Give them why. Then gospel fluency, what is the gospel? So at Dare to Share, we use a gospel acrostic. And we literally have students memorize. We've had millions of teens memorize this. God created us to be with him. Hmm. Genesis 1 and 2. Right. O is our sin separates us from God. Genesis right. 3. S is sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, the blood, mm-hmm. sweat, and tears, the right. blood of the sacrifices, sweat of trying to obey 613 Old Testament commands, the tears of contrition. It. You know, So sins cannot be removed by good deeds. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the substitutionary you know, death work of Christ on the cross. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. The book of John, right. 98 times, what believe, 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 trust, put your faith on him, in him. And then L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever, acts of revelation. It's quantity of life and quality of life. And we have students memorize that, and then, and then once they get it mastered, it's like chords on a guitar, then you can make it at your own, right. make a beautiful song. Yeah. So giving them gospel urgency, gospel fluency, and then some sort of gospel strategy. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, we have a tool called Life in Six Words. It's an app right. that students can use and share with their friends and share the gospel using the it's app. It's a tool. Yeah, right. It's a tool. Right. So it's like, uh, but I tell people sometimes we go straight to tool. Yeah, but that's but you, not, no, you no, got to no. give them urgency and fluency first. So, and then it doesn't matter almost what strategy you use. Like, I don't go into a steak restaurant for the plate. I go for the steak. Right. So the tool is the plate. The gospel is the stake. The so make sure they get the gospel down. And that's why that gospel acrostic is so helpful. And I used it when I was a pastor. I had our church memorize it. So they knew the gospel. And then I'd give it every week. So they knew the gospel. And they knew how to share Christ. You know. Now, you're, you, you speak widely, I take it, and, yeah. and train youth pastors all across the country. Yep. Around the world now. It's really the Lord's opening it up. Uh, I think there's a global thirst for evangelism and mobilizing young people. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. And you, you, you mentioned your own story with your mom uh, when you mentioned the, the 12-year-old girl 
you know, it is as powerful, you know, the gospel is as powerful in her hands as, you know, some adult. Mm. I, I assume that you've got stories back of kids who not only are reaching their friends, but they go home, talk to mom and dad, grandma, granddad, and, and they're coming to faith. So last night, I did an evangelism training in Frisco for about 100 students, and I had them all practice. And I went through the gospel. These are student leaders and yeah. adult leaders. Yeah. And I say, hey, by the way, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, do it now. Yeah, you know? now's the time. And let somebody know. Can't share what you don't have. Well, guess what? A mom. Yeah. Volunteer that was there told her daughter, I finally got it. Wow. And her daughter had been sharing Christ with her and praying with her. And one of the adult leaders came up to me afterward last night in tears saying, this mom, this daughter had been praying for, finally put her faith in Christ. Mm. And it, yeah, I gave the gospel, but this girl had been working on her mom for months, months praying for her, sharing the gospel with her. And she finally came in. Yeah, we get stories like that all the time. Yeah. And uh, again, I just challenge every leader out there, do if you miss the youth, you miss the movement. Every great spiritual awakening in the history of the United States has had young people. Right. First great awakening. Right. Whitfield and Wesley. Yeah. You know, Wesley, the master organizer, right? Whitfield, the cross-eyed preacher. A lot of people don't know he was cross-eyed. Oh, I didn't know that. He could preach to 30,000 people without voice amplification. I think a lot of the reason people came down forward is they said, that dude's looking right at me. <laughs> I'm going down now. I believe. Right. Jonathan Edwards, mm-hmm. man who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God, also you know, did the history of the First Great Awakening, said the revival has been chiefly amongst the young. Mm. It was a young people's movement. Yeah. And it was a student-led spiritual awakening that in the words of Metaxas, prepared the United States yeah. to become a republic. Yeah. Because it was the colonies were a dark place. I and I believe mm. a student led spiritual awakening can repair this republic. Well, you know, you think of the recent movie about Jesus Revolution. It's a yeah. youth movement. Youth movement. Right? Yeah. Bunch of stoners, you know. <laughs> Teen and twenty something druggies that were radically converted. Yeah. Yeah. So a kid comes to faith. Talk to us about the whole discipleship piece. How do they grow in Christ? Because you know, a lot of a lot of programs were we're saving souls. Yeah, we got numbers, and it's almost like that's that's the end game. Is is you know how many salvations did you have this yeah. week? Yeah, and then as we know, so many leave the faith later. Mm-hmm. They're not grounded. Well, Jesus, you know, he didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. disciples right? right. And so the best way for that to happen, we've seen, is in the context of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. the way that we do this is when st- when students come even to our event, right, we have the students come forward to their youth leaders, not to us. And then the students that lead their friends to Christ are responsible to disciple their friends. So we provide tools, free tools and resources for discipleship that youth leaders and students can use. Here's what I think is is important too. The Western model of discipleship is flawed, I I believe. Um, Jesus connected evangelism and discipleship in Matthew 4, 19 through 20. He's like, follow me and I'll... I'll turn you into fishers of men, men, right? So evangelism and discipleship are together, right? 
um, following Christ entails fishing for the lost, sharing mm. the gospel. Um, if, you know, my buddy Doug Holliday says it this way, any discipleship strategy that does not begin with and end with evangelism is not biblical discipleship. Mm. Our philosophy of discipleship is two believers have been saved for 20 years getting together once a week for a one-hour Bible study reminding themselves of stuff they should already know and should already be doing. Right. Biblical discipleship is taking somebody, you know, you know, bringing them, you know, to Christ, helping them grow in Christ, so that they can tell others about Christ mm. as soon as possible. Mm. And so, an illustration I use with youth leaders: if I take a sponge, right, and I take milk, and I pour sp the milk in that sponge, that's our philosophy. It's like, well, let's just get the content of theology, right. the milk of God's word. But what happens to the milk in that sponge is it spoils, right, if you don't wring it out. So I think we're missing the ringing out part. So yes, we pour in sound theology. We get them in the basics. You know, we call it 5G theology. Yeah. God, God's Son, God's Spirit, God's Word, Gospel. We boom. You know, what does that all that mean? How do I right. read God's Word? How do I how do I depend on the Holy Spirit? All all the core we need to they need to get. But then they squeeze that out to others. Right. They're sharing Christ with others. They're discipling others. So we got to pour it in and we got to squeeze it out. And the 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 Western Church has half that equation. If that, because sometimes there's no discipleship strategy. There's no milk being poured. That's exactly right. So we have to pour it in, and we have to wring it out. So we need to help them go deep and wide mm. at the same time. Not not that like, not well, I'm going to take you really right. deep first, and then the 401 class will, will teach you advanced. By the time 401 hits, they're institutionalized. Right. So... And they don't have any non-Christian friends left. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> let's get them like, let's get them mobilized now. Welcome yeah. to the family. Who are you going to tell? Right. And here, let me show you how to study your Bible. These kids are taking ad advanced calculus and honors, you know, statistics and all this other stuff. And we don't think they can learn how to exegete the scriptures. We don't think they can learn how to effectively evangelize and use apologetics. Mm. We, we have lowered the bar. Yeah. We need to raise the bar. And kids will rise up to that expectation. I mean, they, kids come up to me, like I, we taught on the Trinity once. And I was talking about, you know, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that classic Trinitarian yeah, graph. Right. And, you know, you, you got to make it personal. So I, I talked about the love among the members of the Trinity. And then, you know, we had this plexiglass, and I'm training these hundreds of students in the Trinity. And I said, what does this mean for you? And I went out in the audience, and I said, what's your name? Claire. I said, come, are you a believer in Christ? She goes, yes. I go, come up with me. And I painted her hand red, and I put it right in the middle of that Trinitarian graph. And I said, listen. You're not a member of, but you're invited in to the mm. fellowship of the Trinity. Wow. You're never alone. Right. This one kid in the audience falls to his knees and screams, I'm not alone, starts weeping wow. because wow. of the power of the theology, yeah. the practical nature of systematic theology, but the practical implications of that yeah. in a kid's life. And then you think that kid wants to go out? That, yeah, I know that right. kid. He's going out sharing the gospel all the time. Absolutely. Telling everybody, hey, you don't have to be alone. There is a God that loves you who's going to invite you in. I mean, so at Dare to Share, we really try to help that vein of discipleship, practical, theological, biblical, and evangelistic. Let's go deep and let's go wide. Let's do it now. Well, there's a built-in accountability with sharing one's faith. If, I, if I'm trying to tell my non-Christian friends about Jesus, there, there's, there's a kind of a built-in accountability like, I mean, I... I can't fake it. I got to live this out. Yeah. I got to be me. I, I don't want to fake, you know, spirituality, and I'm not perfect, and I admit that. But I can't. 
I can't sort of have my little Christian life over here. And oh, yeah. With you, I'm going to do other stuff. If you, if you evangelize, you're putting yourself out there, yeah. and you better be trying to live it. Yeah. Uh, because kids, it will, out if you're kids not... will call you on it, yeah, right? Yeah, for and sure. So that's, but that's one of the powers of sharing the gospel. Like, like it's almost like the new coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, right. I'm coming out, mom and dad. I have some I'm news for you. Right, I'm a I'm a <laughs> Christian. I believe in Jesus. You know, but it strengthens their faith. So think about it. Romans ten is kind of weird uh, if you look at it. It says if you believe in your heart, you're justified. You confess with your mouth, you're saved. That Jesus is Lord, right? right. Well, if you look in the NIV text notes, Jesus is Lord was the baptismal confession. Mm-hmm. So when you got baptized, you stood in the water, said Jesus is Lord. That was right after you got saved. I mean, there was I mean, there was no hesitation. You got you believed in Christ in your heart. You're justified. Confess with your mouth. You're saved. Maybe that saved is talking about sanctification saved, because that confession with the mouth mm-hmm. is a baptismal confession. Yeah. Where was that done? Hidden in a church? No, that was in the mitzvah, or that was in the Jordan, or it was in public, or people around. Yeah. It was your first evangelism experience. Wow. You stood up in the water and said, Jesus, I'm, Lord, I'm identifying Jesus. with these guys. Right. right. That steeled and sealed their faith. That's a case for right away evangelism, de- yeah. declaration that Jesus is Lord, that salvation is by faith in him. This is what I believe. I mean, so I think, I think bringing that stuff together yeah. is so, so important. Well, many of my friends who do uh, evangelism in, in other cultures, uh, outside the United States, particularly in the global south, have said that that is one of the main marks of new believers, mm. that once they come to faith, like the first thing they want to do is go tell. Yeah. Like I got to tell my family or I got to tell the people in my village. You know, it's it, they don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, my gosh, there's something I need to tell about this. And what do we do? It's like the woman at the well. What do we do? We say, okay, before you get baptized, we need to put you through an eight-week course. Yeah. We'll teach you how to do this. And then we're going to (laughs) fully institutionalize you before we allow you to – I mean, and then by then, you you know. So I think it's right away. Let's go tell somebody and let's – Let's let's dive into the word. Let's get sound theology. Now again, I go back to Yankee and his impact on my life. Yeah. And it was theological and it was evangelistic at the same time. Mm. So All right, so let me ask you uh you've been working in this for 30 some years, so you know a whole lot about young people. And what's the one most important thing you want to say to youth pastors? Mm. I, I would say your teens are waiting for a cause to live for and die for, and it's the cause of Christ. There's a lot of good causes out there, stopping human trafficking, mm-hmm. um, you know, feeding the poor, yeah. giving water wells, you know, to, to the thirsty. But the overarching mm-hmm. cause is to go and make disciples of all nations. And you can you can – Give the hungry bread and the bread of life. You can give the thirsty water and the living water. You can stop human trafficking and soul trafficking. Yeah, they're not either or. They're, they're, they're connected. Yeah. And I would really encourage youth leaders. Um, we have a free digital download of a book I wrote called Gospelize Your Youth Ministry. Right. If you just look up Gospelize, Greg Steer, S-T-I-E-R, I before E, um, it'll pop up. You can download it for free. It's also on Audible. Yeah. It's not free on Audible, but um, but you can download a digital copy or purchase a hard copy. Read read Gospelize mm-hmm. and implement those seven values. Even if you're not a youth leader, pastors, I encourage you. I 
listen, I pastored Pastors a church. churches, yeah. Planted a church, pastored a church for 10 years. When I left, we had, you know, it was a pretty good sized church, about a thousand people, but 62% of the people came to Christ from people reaching people. Wow. So this works in a church-wide setting, not right. just a youth ministry right. setting. right. And uh, so I would really encourage you to download Gospelize and become a gospel advancing leader mm. and start with your student leader. So like a lot of people are like, well, all the kids aren't going to get on board. No, not, not all the people got on board with Jesus ministry. You, had a, you know, there was 120 in the upper room. Right. 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 So he ministered to thousands. Go, go with the goers, pray mm-hmm. for the others and keep yeah. checking seats. Um, the Ron Sitter Polytechnic Institute did a research project said if you can get 10% mm. of any group 100% committed to a vision or set of values, you got some. they'll influence the other 90%. Yeah. But they got to be 100% committed. So I would say start with your student leaders and get them Red all hot. in. Yeah. yeah, and your adult leaders. Get them all in, and they become the thermostat for the group. Start there. Start on your knees and then continue there. All right. So what's the one thing, one most important thing you also want to say to parents? Because they factor into this sometimes. Oh, man. So I'm a dad. Yeah. <laughs> of an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old who's getting married in a week, wow. week and a half. Yeah. yeah. Um, prayer and duct tape. I mean, <laughs> I had it all figured out. I, I went through those courses on parenting that yeah, made it sound right. like bowling. Right. Like you just follow the lines and you'll get a strike or a spare. Yeah. Now it's just pinball. Prayer, <laughs> pray and push buttons. Um, mm. I would say, first of all, make sure your kids understand the gospel. Mm. Make sure you're authentic and you're seeking honestly, and if you screw you screw up what you do, and I did did so many times, sure. confess it to them, ask for forgiveness. Try to set a consistent example and exemplify the grace. Grace. You know, I, I'll tell you a, a, a hard story. My son, Jeremy, who's the one going to get married, went through a time of rebellion, secret rebellion. Mm-hmm. Now, we knew he had a bad attitude and stuff. Yeah. We didn't know that he was doing marijuana, vaping, getting drunk for, I don't know, six, seven months. He was heading down a bad path. And he had hit it from all of us. And yeah. my wife's a public school teacher, and I work with teens. So and you I'm, figure, we and know I was the raised, signs. Yeah. Right. No, this, he, mm. he masked it. Yeah. You know? One night, he came in at like midnight, woke me up. My wife is a teacher, grading papers, fell asleep by the fire downstairs. He goes, Dad, I got to confess something to you. And he woke me up out of a dead sleep. I went, what? He goes, I've been vaping. I've been, you know, last school year I was vaping, I was getting drunk, I was doing weed, and I haven't done it for months, but I can't live with myself. Mm. What are my consequences? I'm like, well, you just woke me up. I said, uh, first consequence is we've got to wake your mom up. So we woke her up, and it was a long night into the early morning. (laughs) She's crying. Her tears are shed. You know, he's... He's like, what? What are my consequences? He wanted to know because we went to. He's went to a Christian school and mm-hmm. they had an honor code. Yeah, and I'm a rules guy. Yeah, so like if those are I, the rules, right? Yeah, yeah. I was I was a rules guy. It was last school year. My wife's like, it was last school year. He confessed to us. I'm like, well, we need to figure this out. And and I'm a like, I always gave an immediate consequence, yeah, right? Right. So I was one of those parents that counted up, like when their kids were disobedient and and it worked. And they're like, somebody was like a donor to their ministry. He's like. 
that actually works? I go, yes, yeah, the number of spankings he's going to get when he gets home. So it's a different kind of counting when he was little. So I go, Jeremy, we need two weeks to figure this out, to pray through it. I was not seeing this coming. We need time to figure this out. Hmm. So Deb and I, we genuinely differed on what the, but I said, well, let's pray through it. So we prayed and we finally came to a conclusion. Jeremy was sick, waiting two weeks. Sure. Because he thinks, you know, I'm going to kick him out, of, get him kicked out right, of school right. and stuff. So we sit down. During that time, I had figured that he had all the food that he had transferred money because he didn't have a job for food. It was actually some, about $500 worth over the course of several months was used for drugs and alcohol. Yeah, right. So I had a whole list. You know, you broke the law. You broke our hearts. You, you had to visit a drug dealer for this. Mm-hmm. You know, you broke the school honor code. You broke the house rules. You broke God's heart. I mean, I had right, this whole thing. Right. Stole money, you know, I mean, everything. Here's the potential consequences. The page was full. And I gave him the list. I go, Jeremy, he goes, yeah. I go, read it and and tell me if it's all accurate because I want to give you an accurate consequence. And he was pale and shaken. He's looked through it all. He goes, Dad, this is all. I am guilty of everything. Wow. I go, okay. Mom and I have decided what your consequence is. I took a Sharpie and I wrote the word over all that to tell us die. And he looked at it and he goes, I have no idea what that word means. I go, it's what Jesus said on the cross when he said it is finished, paid in full. And he goes, Dad, I know Jesus forgives me. I'm not afraid of what he's going to do. <laughs> what afraid. are my consequences? I go, Jeremy, you're not, you're not getting what I'm putting down. Here's the consequence. There is no consequence. You confess to us. Hmm. You are completely 100% forgiven. Not going to kick you out. Not going to make you pay the money back. Not going to turn you into the school. Then I leaned over the table and said, but Jeremy, unlike Jesus, this is a one-time deal. <laughs> right. Next time I'm going Old Testament. Yeah. <laughs> he broke. Yeah. And that became a turning point in his life. Hmm. So I would just say, the pow- make sure we're living out. You know, Jeremy today is serving the Lord. He's marrying a girl that's serving the Lord. And he'll he, never he forget. He learned grace. Yeah, and I asked him for permission to share this story with teenagers. I wasn't planning on yeah. it. And then what, he said, Dad, I have one precondition. You can't hold anything back because a lot of kids are struggling with this because mm-hmm. yeah. it's available so easily. So yeah. I would say, right. yes, have rules. Yes, consequences. But, man, let's, let's, let's live out the grace that we've received with our, with our kids. Let's live out the gospel. Absolutely. That's great. All right, we got just – a handful of minutes left. Let me do a rapid fire here. All right. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, one liner responses. How would you complete this sentence? Young people, the gospel and, okay? And I've got, a, I got too many words here for, for the time we got left, but young people, the gospel and social media. What comes Use it as a tool to share the gospel. All right. Young people, the gospel and peer pressure. Flip the pressure by creating a, a crew that advances the gospel. Good. Young people, the gospel, and global warming. It's all going to burn someday. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Second Peter 3 says. It's true. Global warming's true. Yeah. All right. Young people, the gospel, and shame. Oh, Jesus, he, he removed our guilt, and therefore our shame is nailed to the cross as well. Mm. Just like you showed yourself. Yeah, yeah. Young people, the gospel, and video games. 
I've seen students use video games to communicate to other gamers and use it as a vast outreach opportunity. Yeah. The devil's tools can be used against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a real community that get into these games. And stuff, yeah. Right? So let's let's stop looking at everything as the devil's tools and let's start redeeming it for the advancement of the gospel. So you, you talk about the peer pressure. Let's let's flip the script. It's, it, it, instead of you know, it's it's these these other kids that are somehow yeah. going to corrupt my kid. It's like no no no. I want my kid to be the influencer. Exactly. I want my kid yeah. and his friends. To be the influencers, his yeah. Christian friends to be the influencers. That's right, and so we call it a cause crew. Yeah, you get a crew of teenagers on fire for Christ, and they go as federally funded missionaries into the public school system yeah. or the Christian school system because there are a lot of unbelievers in Christian schools. So that's back to that ten percent, but they got to be one hundred percent committed. They do, and so we got to pray those strongholds down until they're all in. Good. All right, young people, the gospel, and churches. We need to mobilize them now, not later. They, we miss youth. We miss the movement to and through the local church. So you really do believe that that that, that may be the most potent force a church really can have to penetrate its community. Eighty percent of the, the teens can spread the gospel. Uh, they come to Christ faster. They can spread the gospel farther. Mm. One fifteen-year-old on TikTok that posts a gospel viral video can reach more than Billy Graham did in fifteen stadium events. Wow! Yeah. So let's. Let's use that. All right. One more. Young people, the gospel, and Jesus. A relationship, not a religion. Love it. Yeah. Get to know him. Let him know you. Love him. Let him be the revolutionary that changes everything in your life. That's powerful. Greg Steele, thank you very much for being with us today Yeah, on the Table thank you. Podcast. And I want to thank you for listening in. You can uh, subscribe to the Table Podcast at... Uh, any outlet that uh, is your favorite. We look forward to seeing you the next time for The Table Podcast. I'm Bill Hendricks. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.